Greetings and welcome to On Frame Radio, conversations about art with host Alejandro. You are listening to CFCR 90.5 FM in Saskatoon or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you want to listen to our past episodes, you can check them out on iTunes. Our special guest for tonight in On Frame Radio is Andre. He just finished his master's in studio art at the University of Saskatchewan. He will be talking about his next show here in the city at the university and also some of his interest in animation. So, good evening, Andre. Good evening. Well, what is your last name? Uh, my, my last name's Ferri Tiazzi. I cannot pronounce that. Most people can't. It's teachers throughout elementary school and high school. Yeah, I never got, I never was known as anything but Andre. You just finished your master's in studio art at the University of Saskatchewan. How was that experience for you? It was it was a really good experience. I I had two years to grow as an artist, and it was wonderful. What uh, was the major uh, focus of your practice? My well, the major focus of my practice for pretty much the two years of my master's was animation and experimenting in animation techniques. But the last couple months and what went into my MFA show is illustration and uh, storytelling. Uh, storytelling, I guess, would be the main idea of what my... So you was. tell stories with uh, images or do you use images and text? Uh, images and text for the for the. So give us an example of. Uh, uh, we are on radio, so we cannot see <laughs> the images. If you uh, were to describe one of your images and the and the materials that you used to it, how would you describe? Well, okay. So for for the show, um, it's uh, 36 watercolor paintings. So they're all watercolor paintings, um, pretty uniform. Um, and the images have uh, various, there's three characters I've come up with. One's Giraffodon, which is a long neck, <laughs> um, and he's part giraffe, part dragon, part dinosaur. I, and, uh, and then there's um, Bernard, who's a very stressed out bird, who isn't a chicken but looks a lot like a chicken um but is really squiggly because and um because he's stressed out all the time and then there's prehistoric who is actually the in in a way the main character but isn't really a character um it's an egg that both these characters interact with and eventually it gets legs but no voice and the other two characters in the story have have a voice where did you get the inspiration for these characters? Um, okay, so prehistoric is the the beginning. I've been painting eggs for a while. Um, people might I've been selling them at the fringe, and people might recognize that. Um, but the egg came from. I used to always say the birth of the Easter Bunny, but I did a painting that was just an egg with a bump in it, which was supposed to be the beginning of time, which was a weird. Um, sorry, I jump around. Um, but the, the, the egg, the first one was a short animated film I did about the birth of the Easter bunny. And so I figured if an Easter bunny lays eggs, it would have to be born from an egg. And if it, but also it would need the bottom of a chicken or of a bird because 
bunnies don't lay eggs, so I figured the Easter bunny would have chicken feet and bunny ears. So then for a while it was just an egg with bunny ears and chicken feet. And um, that was my favorite stage. And then when I finally hatched it, I found the I found the, the design just way more, like just so boring compared to the endless potential of what could be inside the egg. So then I started painting eggs just as characters in and of themselves. How did you come up with these stories? Uh, I don't know. I, the, the, way, the way I write is I come up with my characters and then I present them with a problem and then they solve the problem. And that's, and then in solving that problem, I, I, I create new, like Bernard, sorry, Bernard is a new character that was created because I encountered a problem in the narrative between Giraffodon and Prehistoric. So I think sometimes my characters are solutions to the problems and my stories are often the characters solutions to the problems, but I can't really say where they come from. Interactions, daily life, anxieties I have myself, everything that's gone into making me as a person, I guess. Yeah, so what makes this, uh uh, you intrigue or interested in, in in use watercolor instead of other media to tell your stories? Um, the the thing that I fell in love with with watercolors is the fact that you can't fix it. I mean, you can do things to fix it. You can get darker, but if a mistake happens, that mistake has to stay, or you have to start the painting over, or ruin the paper in some futile fixing effort. Um, so. The, uh, so yeah, what I love about watercolors is that I have to accept the watercolors as they are. <laughs> Another thing about watercolors I love is it reminds me of when I had hair for those who can't see me, I'm bald. Um, but when I had hair, it was like, it was lush and curly and beautiful, but it would never do what I told it to do. Um, and I eventually learned that with the curly hair, I had to, I could just give it a bit of guidance and then let it do its own thing. And that's the only time it would ever look good. But for years I wasted my life trying to control this hair and watercolors are very much the same by, by adding water and color and guiding it a little bit. Um, and then letting it create its own patterns and things. That's how I, I that's how I've started using watercolors and that's how I, I feel I get the best results from it. How long you've been doing this for? Watercolors? This project. Oh, this project? Two months. Okay. Yeah. Since, uh, I, I shifted, well, I shifted in August and, uh, then I got pneumonia for three weeks. So I lost three weeks of work time. And then, so pretty much since maybe the last week of August, I've been plugging away at this project I'm, I'm the story i've worked on a bit longer than that but the actual paintings and when people go to this exhibition what do you want them to come out with um well this is chapter one um what do i want them to come out with a, a sense of whimsy I, I i don't really know like uh it's it's a narrative and i deliberately made um prehistoric um nondescript and gender neutral and so that people can place themselves on it. So 
I, I want people to see themselves in the story if they can, whether it's in the character of prehistoric or in the other characters who are a bit who are much more defined. But um, what are the sizes of these paintings? Uh, 12 by 16. So they're larger than your normal uh, work that you said in the French yeah, yeah, and they're in the other uh, events that you go. Yeah, yeah, they're larger than than the. Uh, How did you present the exhibition? Um, it's it's linear, um, so it starts at number one, and th my titles are just page numbers, so it's number one, number like one, two, um, and then so so it. And it progresses to the right. Yeah, <laughs> it goes left to right, and um, and yeah, they're all they're all matted uh, with a double a double mat uh, gray on the outside, and then white on the inside, and then it it it, it loops around back on itself. How long this exhibition is going to be at the university? Um, it was going to end on Friday, but. Uh, It just got extended for another week. It's just um, happening as we speak. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's happening right now. And it was going to end on Friday. But yeah, it's... So, yeah, uh, the 4th. But now it's going all the way till the 11th. So 11th of November. Yeah. And uh, what is happening after that exhibition? It's school is done. Uh, what? Where do you see you going? Um, well, okay. So I'm going to continue on working on this story because like I said this is chapter one of I haven't decided how many but millions um, and uh, the and but also I'm going to be collaborating with um, a, a bass player Felipe um, f on the bike and bass tour well hopefully collaborating uh, on on a project we're working on together and Um, more animation maybe um, but right now I'm really focused on publishing this as a book possibly I'd really like to bring it together as as a narrative um, that you know that is self-contained I have a question for you that uh, I I am curious to see uh, how many of your classmates uh, sort of share the same uh, type of uh, approach to art in in the school while you were there like like do the same similar style of art yes uh, the storytelling illustration you don't see much of that in 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 the grad school no i can't say anyone else in my my program has done anything similar to that um yeah uh, so how did the how how did the critiques go uh the critiques went well well i mean in like I just started this specific one um, in in September, basically in September. But prior to that, how did you how did you come up with with this project uh, for you as your grad project when you have a year and a half almost of exploration and you need to go through the process of critiques <laughs> and what's not? How do you manage to survive in a program that is heavy in painting and sculpture and performance art? Um, well, I, I did a lot of animation. I don't know. I, I they, they they went really well. I mean, people were always positive, especially with my animation because I don't know. I guess it's more more a little more impressive than uh, just illustration. Um, yeah, 
it was always a, my critiques were always a positive experience. I mean, people would ask questions and sometimes, especially on a technical level with my animation, I might have to explain a few areas, but they'd, there'd always be constructive feedback um, from aesthetic standpoints. You can still critique an animation or, cause I, I, I didn't bring the narrative in during the regular crits. Um, I, it, this was more something I discussed with my supervisor and a bit of the committee and they, they were supportive of it. Um, and it came, doing this actually came out of writing my, my thesis support paper because I wasn't happy content wise with a lot of the work I was doing before. Um, it was just, exp it was just visual experimentation. And when, when, and that's one thing about the crits, when I was doing the visual experimentation, every time I was asked, why did you do this? Or my only motivation, the only thing I could say is cause I, I wanted to try it. Like that was, that was my only motivation for creating it. Whereas with this, I wanted to tell a story and what is, what is the place that you can show these animations that you have done? You find, what are the platforms uh, that you find to, to show your work? Um, well, a lot of the animations I, I did for school, I, I don't know. Um, they're, they're more experimental. They could work as, like, I, I showed them in a few group exhibitions with the other grad programs, and they seem to work out all right there. Um, most of my animations before that, ended up like they're online or um, toured uh, festivals. Uh, a couple of them are on TV. Um, so those, but those are animations I did before my grad, like before I started the grad program. So you entered the program with your animation projects and then you ended with <laughs> illustration. How was that process of changing? Um, it was it was very quick because I, I had been animating. So yeah, I came in as an animator. They accepted me as an animator. Um, they expected me to have a show that was animation. And then in the process of writing my support paper, I realized animation isn't what I need to be doing right now. And so I, I switched and luckily my committee was supportive of any type of experimentation or switching as long as I could. But some of your animation is also heavy. Uh, the images and the imagery can relate a lot to your work. I see and there you see a lot of some of the same uh, oh. technical uh, watercolor. Uh, they have some of the same aesthetic that, that match each other. Yeah, the, the aesthetic. Okay, yeah. So if we go back to watercolors as, as an aesthetic, and another reason I chose watercolors, I, I've always been fascinated and I've, in a lot of my animations, I've used my earlier animations, especially I used paper textures and most of the paper textures I really liked were ones that were damaged by water in some way, whether it was mold growing on it or, or, you know, like a page, a painting or, or just a piece of paper that had been under a dri dri leaky faucet. Um, dripping water and and so all this damaged paper through water and the textures that would happen from that water damage um worked its way into my work and then i i thought watercolors could get the same aesthetic only i would have more control and i could do more do more with it and so that's that's why 
uh, I let the watercolors do what they do because water as it dries creates patterns and that's what I loved about the paper textures also ripped edges and and things like that were were um I've really liked um so so with that I went and and yeah just progressed to watercolors how how was the experience of being at the a lot of people know or have collected your work as when you were a student in some of the festival and you did a lot of prints of of your some of your watercolor paintings and and what's not how how do you think people are going to see you now that you're a master's you finish school and are you going to keep doing the fringes and all those festivals or are you just going to remove yourself from that i'm, I'm going to keep doing the fringes and like I, i think i think that's um i think almost more than galleries i think my I, I want my work to be more in the public sphere than in uh not that not that galleries aren't public they're just there's there's a barrier to entry that isn't isn't placed there by anyone but is a appears to be there by um i don't know society tell me about that um well i i think i think I mean, depending on, on where you are in the community, but like there's a community that goes to the art gallery and there's a community that doesn't go to the art gallery and the community that doesn't go to the art gallery is much larger than the community that does. And I think there's a perceived, and, and some people cultivate this. I, I haven't noticed it as much in Saskatoon, but at, at times there's a, some people seem to cultivate a, an elitism that, you know, like, that comes with the gal, you know, like artwork in a gallery. Um, and, and that creates, it's not like they're saying you can't come in. It's, but it creates a bit of a, a barrier to entry to the average Joe, I guess. Unless they come for the cheese and wine. Yeah, exactly. Cheese and wine. <laughs> Unless they come for the free, free food. And then they're coming to the receptions, but they're not engaging with the work necessarily. Like, um, the, Like the amount of people who show up for receptions and socialize is great, but they're not, I mean, they'll show up to receptions regardless of what's there or whether they care to look at the art or not. They're there for the social aspect of it. Whereas I think in a more, you know, like in, if someone stops at my table at the fringe, they're there to ask me about my art, not Um, so it's mostly the personal question is nothing political about being in a space that is a uh, control and then there's a lot of set of regulations and contracts and many of those things. Oh, so. I mean, there's, there's also, well, I mean, there's regulations. I mean, I even have, um, I have a bit of a, I don't know. I don't, the, because of that barrier to entry, like I, I feel early on in my schooling, sorry, I'm, I'm, uh, I, I felt I needed to make a certain type of art that fit into what should be in a gallery rather than just following what, um, what I wanted to create or what I was passionate about creating or what I thought would make the best art. And I felt, I mean, I, I gave up on that quickly, but, um, and I find that barrier doesn't actually exist as much because a lot of people really like the work where I just be myself and they don't like The work as much where I'm trying to fit in but even me as an artist who who did a master's feels there's a certain 
you know, type of art that belongs in an art gallery, just like some people might think only a certain type of person belongs in the gallery. And I don't know if that actually exists or if it's just my... I have heard some... I, I asked you because I think uh, your generation of artists, uh, there's a young generation of artists that want the personal contact. And it's sort of a movement that is happening underground and we are not aware of it, okay. that uh, there's a dislike of the gallery system. I I would like to whoever is listening and have some more depth into this. I would like to just have a a, a, a panel discussing these issues because I have noticed uh, a lot of uh, uh, young artists removing from that institution or what that approach of being controlled or mm. regulated or uh, the lack of accessibility to their contact people, their public, which they are, they find that other ways of, of engaging, like the Fringe and mm -hmm. other festivals and arts. I do like the contact. I do like the direct feedback from an audience, um, whether it's, like I, I post most of my work. I mean, I, I'm, I'm posting online the, the narrative, um, prehistoric.com. <laughs> um, I'm posting the narrative online, also on my Instagram, and that way I can get kind of an immediate feedback when, I mean. Do you think your work would have existed anyway, uh, no matter if you have done your master's or not? Um, I, th I think it, it, it may have matured more, um, but I, I may have ended up at this point regardless of whether I did a master's or not. Because I, I was, even before my master's, I was constantly creating any opportunity I got. The one, the one thing the master's allotted me was a space um, a group of people who would look at my work and give me feedback on it and, um, you know, finance, you know, finances so that I didn't need to work the whole time. Well, you're working, but you're working in your art. You're yeah, not working in something else that disrupts you from your creativity the process. Exactly. And that, that before I would, I, I refused to take, before that, I, I actually refused to take on any permanent job I would work contracts which were great but again that's two months where I'm two three months however long the contract was for an animation or whatever that took me away from what I wanted to do but usually my clients would give me a lot of times they were musicians so they'd give me a lot of creative freedom and and so I could grow you know in I, I, I could allow myself to grow that way and 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 test and experiment it would take longer and i'd get paid you know like i would you know like would you keep doing that after you graduate and are you going to take a break from from not from creating but uh, from this the whole school idea and are you going to go and look for a a job that allow you some freedom to create or it, are you going to keep just creating and then just attending these different festivals in Canada? Uh, I have a plan. The, pl the plan is to keep creating and just create as much as I can. And hopefully someday I'm, I hear it happens in your forties, <laughs> be able to s support myself off, uh, off my art. But, um, yeah, so if I can, if I can support myself off my art, I'll just keep creating, but I know how unlikely that actually is. Um, so, uh, I'll probably keep doing the contract thing. I gather that you don't have a, an agent or a gallery that represents you at this time of your life. I don't know. Would you want one? I, I, I wouldn't mind one, but I don't, again, I don't know that the type of art I do would, would fit in, in, in a 
commercial gallery or like because i mean it's it's i i don't know if the 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 price tags on my work are high enough to you know like qualify for i mean like smaller galleries but like actual representation for someone to put the time in um you know me going to the festivals and like the um the shows and like dealing direct me representing my own work that's how i've I'm building an audience. And but I, but you're also not selling your original. You're selling prints of your original. Yeah. Where do you keep all these original? Um, well, since they're watercolors, that, well, th just in a stack in my mom's would house. Would you sell them? I would. I would. Yeah. Actually, I'm I'm planning on on selling them. At, you know, like I'm going to be doing flock and gather coming up, and hopefully sell. But I mean, they're right now they're pages of a book, so I don't know what like whether people would want to buy the original page you know like illustrations for a page in a book or you know like um but they work independent too yeah they do i have some of your postcards or yeah. or small prints uh, to just call something uh, and they can work alone or they can work together as a story too it's it's i think i have the egg that goes and look in the river like narcissus yeah. and then uh, there's a shark that comes out or whatever yeah. a creature that tried to eat it but uh I, I have them and people ask about them and I said no it's a story and I have four of them but I don't know how many of them are right and and that's the egg that's in my uh, in my show um, I, I started that story again from scratch so we're gonna reach that's one thing that's gonna happen but <laughs> um, but yeah the uh, yeah so if they if they work independently and actually I was I was surprised when when people would buy one of the of the, the series of four. And it was never the one I thought, like I'm always surprised when people buy things that are never the ones I thought would be the, the good, the top sellers. Um, cause like in, in that series of four, the best seller solo, either people bought all four or they bought the last one, which didn't have any, like it was just kind of a landscape with a chunk of land, uh, like, Uh, beach missing yeah and uh and that was the popular one that's the one i would run out of and i'm like what i thought it would be the one where the shark you know like is coming yeah. up and eating him. i thought that was the most exciting one but that never sold on its own and uh, then and then my question it is uh how 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 do you part uh, from from these stories when 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 did the stories end oh that that's going to be a hard thing i i don't I don't you know. said a million. Yeah. A million. I, I, I was kind of joking about that, but <laughs> I do expect, I, I don't know when the story will end when they end. <laughs> so then how do you curate what makes it to the book and what doesn't make it to the book? Well, or what you, makes it to the, to the story or what doesn't? Uh, how I, do you edit yourself? I don't know if I want to. <laughs> um, the, like, I, I will need to I will need to add it, but like initially I, I I'd like to self-publish, right? And 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 if I can have enough people to constantly, you know, like if I can build that audience that will allow me to self-publish the stories, then I don't know that I like I will edit and I edit in, but I edit in the storyboarding phase. I like I storyboard, I figure out things and and write you know, chapter by chapter, but like, like the story could end when it gets eaten by the shark, the shark or, or it, but I, the idea, like 
but that story continues. The original one continues inside the belly of the yes, the shark. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> and then and then and then my idea was that it would travel from, you know, the shark would take it from island to island. Absolutely, or the shark could be yeah. a friend and just yeah. a, a, like a bus, and he's in a bus stop, and the shark is the transit. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and you cool. can go, and then so each island ends up being like so. Th there will be ends like there's individual story arcs. Um, you know, like each chapter is its own little story arc and then they make part of a bigger story arc and then there's, you know. So like what's the name of the story? Uh, the Tale of Prehistoric. Okay. <laughs> so the exhibition, because we are just heading the end of the show, uh, where give us the information of uh, where is this exhibition happening? What are the dates? And if people want to get a hold of you, your email, your website, how can they get a hold of you? Okay. Uh, so the, the show is up right now at the Gordon Snellgrove Gallery on campus. University of Saskatchewan. <laughs> University of Saskatchewan. Uh, and the and it'll be up till the 11th of November. Um, the reception, uh, the public reception, which will have free food and <laughs> wine, not, well, by donation wine, uh, <laughs> uh, will, will be on the 4th, starting at 7 p.m., Uh, my website, which the story will continue on after the show is, uh, is done is, uh, prehistoric.com. That's like prehistoric, but with an egg at the end. And my, uh, and then you can also follow me on Instagram, email me, at, um, Instagram. I'm at Fajigajiga, which is F A J I G A J I G A. And uh, that's my that's my Facebook. That's pretty much if you want to find me on Twitter or anything, that's it. And even my email is fajigajiga at gmail.com. Well, thank you for the conversation, for giving us your time. And we look forward to go and see your exhibition. Any any last thought that you have to to your audience here in this city? Uh, no. <laughs> well, thank, <laughs> thank you very much. Have a great evening. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to OnFrame Radio on CFCR 90.5 FM or streaming live around the world on cfcr.ca. If you really like the show, leave us your comments on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or listen to our past episodes on iTunes. This is your host, Alejandro, and have a great evening.